Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm your host, Rebecca Kinnestrand. Do you consider yourself spiritual but non-religious? Agnostic? Or maybe you grew up in a church but don't believe what you were taught there anymore? This podcast exists in that space between all-in or all-out religion. Join us in asking questions that challenge the notions of Christianity. Welcome to Challenging Christianity. It's Rebecca Kinnestrand and Pastor Dean Herman is in the house with us tonight. Danielle can't make it today, so it's just you and I. Welcome, Pastor Gina. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be back for another conversation around theology and how it applies to us today. We want to delve into the Gospels and figure out what's going on with these. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I think, you know, any school kid who's ever, you know, been to Sunday school those those books of the Bible and some of the stories within them. And if you haven't ever been to Sunday school, you don't know anything about it, you know, welcome because we're going to talk about it and you're going to yeah. see what it what it's all about. Super important, I think, in the Western world. And I say this, you know, now and then when we have these podcasts, just that the Western world in general, because of the history of it, it's sort of swimming in Christendom. Mm. It's, uh, you know, a lot of the laws and a lot of the history are based on judeo-christian beliefs values systems and so on and that may be changing and in flux as we speak but just historically that's where things have come from and i think it's always good you know no matter what kind of conversation you're having to understand your history so anyway welcome everybody to the podcast what are we gonna what are we gonna talk about today pastor gina what do you want to start with you're the expert here yeah I don't know about an expert, but, but yes, no, I'm excited. (laughs) I wanted to um, just start today by doing an overview of the four gospels, uh, because uh, the, the gospels are of course the stories, all the stories that we have about Jesus. And so often all of them are kind of mushed together. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you think of when Christmas comes around, you have the story of the Virgin Mary and, uh, and her cousin Elizabeth and, um, you know, she's miraculously con- uh, conceived a son. And mm-hmm. and then there's all these other stories that go with it, where you have the angels singing and you have the wise men. And all of those are from only two gospels that hmm. all come together. And wow. most of those stories and most of those pieces aren't found uh, in, in uh, Luke or sorry, not Luke, and aren't found in Mark or John. It's only in Matthew and Luke. Wow. And um, I know. And so it's it's very interesting to Christmas is them. It's a lie. <laughs> <No>. uh, <laughs> but there are, I know. I'm so sacrilegious and heretical here. So um, are you saying that if okay, I'm gonna get it mixed up. So if you're saying that which two books were don't have it? Mark, Mark? which is the earliest one. And okay. John, which is the latest one. So the if Mark and John, okay, if Matthew and Luke weren't in the Bible, then there would be no Christmas. There would be no Christmas story with baby <laughs> Jesus. That is absolutely right. Okay. Yeah. So Christmas. it's really important <laughs> to look at each of these individually uh, and figure out the reasons why they're writing and to whom they're wow. writing, because uh-huh. uh, it does make a big a big difference as to the reason in which they start their stories where they do, where uh, they bring out different details that the others might not. Um, wow. Yeah. Man, that makes me wonder why they didn't put it in. Do we know why they didn't put it in? Uh, we don't specifically, but again, circumstances kind of help with that. And knowing the cultures back then um, do give us a little bit of a picture as to why that maybe was the case. Um, okay. So for instance, um, one of the big events that happens uh, when- Okay, wait, gospel- I'm just- Oh, oh go ahead. I can just interrupt you because I, I want to make sure we have some grounding before we head in. Of course. So for people who are not versed, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four books in the, are they the beginning of the New Testament? Where do they sit as far as the Bible goes? Yes, they are at the very beginning of the New Testament. Okay. And so the first one, I always memorize them, like I said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are they in that mm-hmm. order? 
Okay. They were not written in that order though. That's what gets confusing. Oh, I see. Okay. Don't confuse me. Okay. So <laughs> then, <laughs> so these are the four books written by these. Okay. Are they written by these dudes or is it a bunch of people and they, we just call it Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? So they're written by four different people. Some of the, the authors we believe to actually be the people who they say they are. And some of them are um, are pseudonyms, uh, ah. people who took this name and put it on their uh, their gospel, their writing, so that it would be more well recognized and well read. Um, you know, you would much rather read something from one of the apostles of Jesus than Joe down the street who runs the the local bakery, for instance. I see, I see. And so they're called the Gospels. Why? Uh, well, so the word gospel actually comes um, from the, the same word as as good news, uh, God, God spell, God speed, the same mm. kind of idea of this is the good news. And so all of them uh, talk about the good news of Jesus and why the coming of Jesus is such good news. Oh, okay. And so what I, from what I know, these four books, they're basically, they're telling the life story of Jesus. I thought from the birth, but apparently I was wrong, but <laughs> um, the life story of Jesus through the crucifixion and resurrection, is that what makes them the gospels and not other books? Yes. So the, the gospels specifically focus on the life and uh, miracles and death resurrection of Jesus. The life and times of Jesus Christ. Life and times of Jesus Christ. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> okay, great. That's the groundwork. Okay. So, so honestly, how, how each writer portrays the life of Jesus um, depends a lot on what was going on in the culture. Um, so uh, Jesus died, we are guessing sometime between 33 and 36 CE. And, um, and the first gospel that was actually written was Mark, which is the shortest gospel. And that wasn't written until 65, about CE at the earliest. So you're talking, we're already like 30 years after Jesus has died and shortly thereafter gone back into heaven, according to the stories. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and Mark, when he writes, he writes during this time, uh, during the rule of Nero, who was this horrible, horrible dictator, who brutally sought out and murdered Christians, uh, would use their bodies as torches, all kinds of horrible, horrible things that that Nero did. Uh, and so he's writing under severe perse persecution, excuse me, of of Christians. And also before the destruction of the temple in 70 CE. That, that's a very significant event because for Jews and Jewish Christ followers, because they weren't even officially Christians then, but Jewish Christ followers of that time, the temple was still this, this main sign of God with us. Um, the fact that the temple was standing was the the hope that that God was still with us, that that God has not abandoned God's people, that God is supporting the people, that that one day God would come and uh, and save the Jewish people once again. And so when that was destroyed, that threw a lot of both Jews and Jewish Christians uh, into this extreme wondering of, well, okay, is God really still with us? So, so that how was a big of an event would that be um, comparatively? Like, would the, yeah. did the world know about it? Like, how big of an event is the destruction? Who destroyed yeah. it? So, so the, the temple in Jerusalem was the temple, so to speak. So if you were anywhere else, you would make usually an annual or whenever you could a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for a variety of different festivals. The like temple, Mecca? so for instance, it would be, it, it maybe comparatively, it would be like the White House. Uh, so people oh, would know say, it like as Mecca. like is it like, like Mecca? a yeah exactly okay. exactly so let's do but, Mecca not the White let's House. Let's do White House. <laughs> well, I was just thinking of that. That's one particular building that you know across oh, the country, right? Right. Um, okay. You know, and across mm -hmm. the known world, then it would be the Temple in Jerusalem, which was really spectacular and 
and would have been that building that everyone would have known exactly where it was and exactly how to get there for these different festivals. So yeah, it was it was the temple. And so for it to be destroyed um, would have been a major, a major event um, similar to 9-11 or a pandemic happening. Um, it would have shaken the known world. And who, so that who was did really it? tough. Who destroyed it? The Roman leaders at the time. <laughs> so Nero or is this Nero? Well, yeah, probably Nero, probably okay. Nero. The um the, like I said, we know the destruction was around 70. AD, but um, the the exact who uh, was somewhere from from the Roman government that destroyed the temple, and um, and so somewhere somewhere up there, one of one of the so, Roman leaders did it. Yeah, I assume that it was meant as a a huge message, right? Yes. No, and you you said it's akin to a nine eleven or something. Nine eleven was a, an act that was perpetrated. You know, if you don't go into conspiracy theories, yeah. but um. An act that was perpetrated, and this is an act that was perpetrated. And absolutely, um, I see. Okay, whereas I, I do feel like with the pandemic, it's like, well, it's not really it wasn't an act done perpetrated on purpose, by right. a person, no, right, by a no, thing, right? No, yeah, but, but definitely a known event worldwide. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where were we? <laughs> we were we were talking about why why they each write in different ways. Ah, uh, uh, yes. So, Mark, yes. yes. Okay. So, so Mark is the only gospel that was written before the temple was destroyed. And because of that, we think that's part of the reason why his uh, gospel is so much shorter. Um, there is an urgency to Mark's gospel. If you read it, oftentimes this will happen. And then it says immediately this happens. And then immediately this happens. And so it just continues to go, 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 go. And the other thing about Mark is he writes in very, very simple, understandable Greek so that even if you were were not uh, a biblical scholar, uh, if you were to read it to a group of people, a group of, of anyone, strangers uh, out on the street, they would be able to at least understand uh, what was going on. So it's a very simplified version and a very short version so that people could you know, create meetings around it, secret meetings, so to speak, and uh, and read it without Nero hearing what was going on. They had, you know, secret symbols that they would use to make sure this wasn't a spy who was coming in to, to you know, massacre them, that kind of thing. But it was written in such a way that it could be shared very easily and quickly with the people that were in the room. And the underground, it's like something out of World War II, like the resistance or something. Yeah, very, very much so. Very underground. Hey, this is this is, you know, why we continue to believe. Remember this story. Don't forget this. This is this is important that that Jesus came. Jesus is the one who uh, who died and rose again. That's Um, so interesting because, you know, it was very prescient to everybody doing this and saying remember the reason why because this thing this not knowing that this symbol that's physical is going to be gone is going to be destroyed so you need something beyond the physical to hang on to yeah and you know it wouldn't surprise me if there was some suspicion that this might be coming down the pike anyway with with Nero just doing so many horrible things um I don't think Mentally, they would have assumed that this was happening or anything like that. But yeah. it was just the general persecution of the time. Yes, yes. And the other interesting thing, which uh, is specifically about Mark, is that he has the the death and passion of Jesus, which I think we're going to get into in a, a future podcast. So I won't go into that <laughs> right now. Save that one. <laughs> we might save that one. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. But what's really interesting is that Mark ends his gospel by saying, you know, they the the women came to the temp, came to the tomb. They saw that the body was not there. The angels told them, "Do not be afraid for Jesus has risen and go and share the good news." And the the last verse in Mark basically says, "And they ran away and said nothing for they were afraid." <laughs> the end. <laughs> And obviously that did not happen because otherwise, how would we know the story, right? Oh, right. 
Well, <laughs> but that's okay. how the gospel ends. Like, all right. <laughs> they ran and away so, and we're free. Yeah. And afraid. so there are, um, but there are people who believe that maybe that was written intentionally because then now the story's not finished and it's your job to now go out and share the story with others. I don't like that. I don't like that. Write your own ending. Business. I know. I know. Not, it's very unsatisfying. <laughs> very unsatisfying you let you end on a cliffhanger basically with mark. I think mark shouldn't have you just scratched him off the bible list yeah oh, okay well then if he was if he said that it, okay so is this one of the books that we think uh mark wrote or is this one of these yeah so so this is most likely um uh john mark who uh was an associate of paul uh and is actually mentioned in the book of acts uh, and the reason we believe that is because the book of of Acts would have been written somewhere along the same time or just shortly after uh, Mark wrote this gospel. Uh, and so that's part of the reason why, and because he's so close to the death of Jesus, you know, 30 years, whereas some of the others are way out there. Mm-hmm. So I think they think that this is actually written by at least a witness or someone who worked with Paul, at least. Uh, so he got to know the story fairly well because he would be a missionary I with have, Paul, so to speak. I have a question somewhat historical. If if Nero was murdering Christians, I mean, they weren't even really called Christians then by then, were they? Not, I mean, yeah, 30 years out from the death of Christ, it was like, you're just like, it would have been, yeah, it, more, it would have been, like I said, Jewish Christ followers, I think is what was most, most mm. used. So we're trying to stamp out these Christ followers, these Christ um, followers, these Christ followers, <laughs> the people of the way I've heard. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, okay. Well, that's very, very interesting. So let's move on. Who's next? Who wrote the next one and how different was it? So then then after Mark came uh, most likely Matthew. um, And some of these dates are a little iffy and crossover. So we're not exactly sure. But uh, Matthew would have come next. And uh, and so he wrote sometime between 75 and 100 CE. And, um, And so this was clearly after the temple had been destroyed. And so his main message in his gospel was that these Jewish Jesus followers who were questioning now God's faithfulness, questioning whether God was still with them, whether this promised Messiah was ever going to come or if it really was Jesus, because if it was Jesus, then why was the temple destroyed? He's saying Jesus was the Messiah. He quotes a lot of Old Testament scripture in in his gospel you know talking about how how god is is still faithful and is greater than the roman empire and that the kingdom of god that is so frequently talked about or the kingdom of heaven you know is one that's not tangible for a reason because that kingdom mm. belongs in you in us in our community in in that's focused around on jesus and the hope that jesus gives so it's very much setting up this Jesus came and and lived a life among us as one of us, as a Jew himself, and gives us renewed hope and encourages us to stick together in community and in our beliefs, remembering that that Jesus ultimately lives within us, not in some building, mm. as important as that building was. So is he also writing under duress? Was this also a difficult time period? Um, this is not uh this is not as much um Mm -hmm. under duress the the big thing here now that's interesting um that comes up in the book of matthew and you'll see even letters of paul which were also written around the same time bring this up too the big thing is that now all of a sudden there is a almost a dichotomy between firm traditional jewish believers who did not believe jesus was the messiah and Christian Jewish believe, Jewish believers who followed Christ. And mm-hmm. so if you were a Christ follower, then you were outcast from your Jewish circles, which was mm-hmm. a really big deal. 
Yeah, that's um, huge. Yeah, sometimes that would mean you would not be allowed to to be at home for weddings. You wouldn't be invited to family events anymore. You wouldn't be able to buy things from certain people who were loyal to uh, the Jewish faith. And so that it really was a big deal back then. And like I said, you'd see that in Paul's letters too come up a lot. Well, should we eat this? Can we really eat this? Should we call ourselves Jews? Do we need to be circumcised? Do we not need to be circumcised? This was all coming from this dichotomy of, well, okay, who are we now? Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the loss of the temple, I think that only made the the schism even farther mm. away, maybe some of the Jews at the time thought, well, you know, maybe God is punishing us for this, that, and the other thing. And and I wanted to to say too, very clearly that this is not talking at all about the Jewish people of today. This is just that particular circumstance in that time. Well, that's, what, I was actually going to ask you a quick question about when, because when we talk about the Old Testament, we always talk about the Hebrew people. Mm-hmm. And when does it turn into the Jewish faith and the Jewish people is, I mean, are they interchangeable? Yeah. Yeah. So in the, the old Testament, it's interesting to sort of track, track the, the people because initially it's uh, you know, everyone is gods from creation, you know, Adam and Eve and all, all people are created by God. And then there's sort of this following of certain people throughout, throughout the next several years. Uh, And then it's Abraham. And then it's the followers of Abraham and Abraham's descendants that Mm -hmm. eventually turns into the people of Israel or the Israelites. Uh, And so I think it's just Uh right. And so you're just slowly over time uh, going farther and farther out. And then uh, when when these Israelites are uh, captured and overcome by a variety of different uh, conquerors, from the known world at that time. Um, There's a split then between, you know, the Israelites who live in Judah and the Israelites who live in Israel. Uh, Mm. And so there's just sort of all all this dichotomy. And I think just over time, they all become initially, you know, the Jewish people who who were the the people of Israel initially, who were um, the followers of that faith. And then during what they big fancy word diaspora, if you ever want to put that during the diaspora where they were all spread over the known world. And I think it was uh, just easiest for people to call them the Jewish people um, Mm. and the Jews. Uh, Mm. And so that just continued to, to grow. And so by the time you get to the New Testament, it was the Jews, uh, the the Jewish Jewish people. people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good to know. So anyway, you're saying that this is about, the Jewish people at this time, because it's a sensitive topic. There's a lot of Christians who do a huge blame game and are like, the Jewish people are responsible for the death of Christ. And this is a huge divisive issue. And we're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> no, I say I could do a whole nother one <laughs> right? just on that. Yeah, That would be very interesting because I don't know a lot about that. Um, and I think that it would be very clarifying to hear from you as a pastor about it but anyway moving on to so that was Matthew so he mm-hmm. was after the destruction of the temple God is within us it's not a place it's not a thing and there's not this urgency it's just acceptance and Paul is out there writing to mm-hmm. different audiences um one last thing about Matthew who was he writing to so he was he was writing um more so to Jewish Jesus followers so he wanted to emphasize that Jesus was the Messiah. And again, that's why he quoted a lot of Old Testament scriptures, or you will read and they said, this is to fulfill this particular thing, which says- He brought the receipts. He did. He said, here, this is what happened. When Jesus did this, this goes with this passage of prophecy. So I yeah, see. that so was- He was enough removed from it and it wasn't under the persecution like a mark to be able to kind of- have a more scholarly approach to the whole thing. Right, right. Cool. All right, who's next? Okay. Then after that uh, is probably Luke. And again, I say probably only because a lot of these overlap, but Luke was written sometime between 85 and 95 CE. And we, we honestly have no idea who the author of Luke is. There is, a, you know, a variety of different guesses 
but you mystery know, mystery man, I know mystery <laughs> man, but if you were to open up any Bible and turn to, um, or a, a scholarly Bible and turn to the front little description of, of Luke, they're like, we have no idea. <laughs> this could be a lot of different people. So someone wrote the book of Luke. And there are, are some guesses as to whether it was a man who wrote it or a woman who wrote it. Uh, and so, you know, that's an open possibility, uh, mm-hmm. which is fascinating to think about. He specifically wrote to Greek speaking Christians uh, and Gentiles. So uh, Luke was uh, most likely not a uh, originally a Jew himself. He was a later convert to Christ followers or Christianity. So would that be at uh, yeah. that time? I mean, what were what would be the dominant non-Jewish religion at, during that time? Where people that's what way they would be. Yeah, yeah. So so there there's now that uh, the option to be a Christian. Most right. people still followed the Greek gods uh, at that time or the Roman gods. There's again, you can find uh, evidence in Paul's uh, letters. You know, he would go into a, a place where you would worship all the gods and there's a different column for all of these gods. And then there's one column for the unknown God. And just for Paul's sake in talking to that particular audience, he says, this unknown God, that's my God. <laughs> and so then he I just, see. you know, breaks that all over. So, so at that time, it was polytheism, which is the belief in many different gods. There was that option. There was the Jewish option. Uh, and there was the, the Christian option. These new hippie Christians. Well. These new hippie Christians, exactly. <laughs> who are coming into the story. Oh, it's possible that the Luke writer was coming out of some polytheism or some other or uh, or a nothing i suppose there were people who were just like no i'm planting my fields i i die by yep yep and and there you know and he you know again he she whoever the author is it's hard to to tell you know whether or not they were jewish themselves the both uh the writer of luke and the writer of matthew um, most likely had uh, a copy of of Mark's gospel when they wrote. And mm. so that's why there's a lot of similarities between those three. In fact, they're called the synoptic gospels, um, you know, like mm. synergism, um, mm. similarities, that kind of thing. Uh, and so they, so Luke writes Luke's gospel based on uh, Matthew's gospel and probably also some of, uh, uh, sorry, Mark's gospel and probably also some of Matthew's gospel as well. So, so Luke is uh, unique in that um, one, he's writing from a different perspective. He lifts up or he or she, I should keep saying he or she, they write in, in such a way that seems to lift up uh, even more so the plight of the outcast, the downtrodden, the plight of women. Women have a much larger role in Luke than they do in uh, the other two gospels. This person also uh, would have or emphasizes in this gospel that the God's kingdom is meant both for Jews and Gentiles. So that's a, a big thing for for this so writer. Oh, gospel! Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, okay. And then this emph- there's also this emphasis that that salvation is offered to all people, not just the Jewish people. And and again, there's there's mm. suspicion that the reason for this is because he was a believer after the fact. He came to be a Christian, possibly outside of the Jewish faith. Yep. Yeah, and it is it it is Luke, uh, of course, that also the the author of Luke that also uh, wrote the author or wrote the book of Acts. So Luke and Acts go together. And so there are some interesting differences and we don't have to get into this day, but there are interesting differences between Luke's gospel and Mark and Matthew's gospel, because Luke's gospel has to fit into where he's going with the book of Acts later on. So at the Mm. very end, for instance, of, of Luke's gospel, um, the big thing is they end up in Jerusalem, not where they end up in the other two, because then in the first opening part of the book of Acts, it's in Jerusalem that Jesus meets them and then ascends into heaven. So it's like, like it's like setting up a sequel. Like it kind the Lord of, of does the Lord yes. of the Rings. We have to end right. in Lothlorien <laughs> because then they have to meet Galadriel. 
Right, <laughs> right. And so, so where, where Jesus ascended, we really don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. And so Luke is, uh, tell me again, like, we did talk in the beginning how the, the birth story isn't in a couple of these, and we didn't really mention why yeah. you think why not so in mark it was just kind of like go run and hide and save yourselves <laughs> yeah yeah his his gospel starts with uh with jesus being baptized when he's 30 years old oh, that's where mark see. starts like i gotta cut to the chase i gotta people. cut to the chase that's there was right. a baby things happened <laughs> exactly yep now we we got the goods right yep. okay yeah and matthew does have the baby i think yeah right? matthew yeah, does have that. have yeah. parts of the christmas story in it his he is the one who has the wise men uh or the yeah the the wise uh leaders um that come oh. from all over the astrologers um and so they they come and that story is in matthew uh, that makes sense because he's the scholarly one mm-hmm. and yep. luke Baby and no Luke baby. has Luke has all of the the stories that that we like about the angels singing and um you know and the angels appearing to to Mary and to uh mm. Joseph and to Zechariah and uh and cousin Elizabeth and all of that are mm. in Luke. Nice. So so yeah, that that's where uh, you know when we think about the the Christmas story, um, you know our favorite Charlie Brown movie kind of thing. That that's the image you're given is the one from Luke. I see. Oh, I like Luke. Yeah, he's, <laughs> it just feels softer, a little softer. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Well, and it, it does make sense that if you if scholars think that the writer of this came from outside of a strict faith or, or some sort of thing. I'm just a huge believer in exposure. Um, one of the big things in therapy in general is exposure therapy. If you're afraid of something or you don't know about something, or you have a phobia or any kind of fear, you literally have to expose yourself to it in increments that are, you know, settling for you, but you expose yourself more to something and you become less afraid of it. I'm a huge believer in that. It just makes kind of sense. And if, you're coming from different backgrounds, you're coming from different areas in life, and you move into something, you're bringing something with you. You're not just, you know, trotting the same path. You're bringing new thoughts um, and molding it together with these, these other new thoughts. So you're synthesizing and making a new, and you're not yeah. as fearful about things either. Okay, well, that's Luke. Luke tells you not to run away. Um, what he so he ends in <laughs> Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Set up the second act. Yep. Cool. Literally and, and figuratively, <laughs> right? Act uh-huh. after we after we do John because I know John's right exactly. John's next. Yes. yes. Um, after we do that, I do want to kind of go back and touch on Passion of the Christ through, through these, if we could. That'd sure, absolutely. But tell me about John first. What? When do we think this was written? Yeah. So, uh, so John uh, is most likely the the last of the gospel writers. He wrote between um, uh, ninety and hundred CE, and um, I would describe John as the Picasso of the Gospels. John does not uh, line up with any of the other Gospels. John is very out of the box. Uh, his big goal is to emphasize that Jesus was both a hundred percent human and a hundred percent God. And mm. he even emphasizes the divinity of Jesus more so than the humanity of Jesus in a lot of cases. Uh, mm. And so that's his big thing. He, because he's uh, so he sort of reframes the whole story in a very different, um, somewhat more poetic way we believe that he's probably an eyewitness of Jesus ministry, possibly an apostle, but we're not entirely sure, but maybe that's what gives him the freedom to reinterpret the story as, uh, as he does. How's that possible? He'd well, be really old. <laughs> yeah, he, he either would be very old uh, and that, that is a possibility, or he could have been very, very young when Jesus was an adult. Maybe he was an mm. eyewitness as a, a younger person 
Uh, or maybe he was part of the, one of the miracles, uh, of Jesus or something along those lines, who knows, right? There's There's a lot of options out there. Right. There's just something that gives me chills about when you say an eyewitness, like you don't really think about that, but like being an eyewitness to, you know, anything Mm -hmm. that Jesus did in his life. I was actually asked once many, many, many years ago, um, Oh, you know, I had a lot of different uh, housemates and stuff. And when I was in my 20s and when we would get into philosophical conversations, somebody asked me, they're like, well, would you still believe if you found out that Jesus wasn't a real? It was something along that lines, like if Jesus mm-hmm. was proven not to have existed or whatever. And I kind of said, it wouldn't really make any difference to me at all. Um I'm not that interested, even though we're going way deep into this history and when these things were written and dates and all of that. And that's all cool and everything, but I don't get, you know, what I get out of my faith and belief and these stories isn't at all a history book. It's interesting. And I think it's necessary to understand what was being said to whom and why, you know, in order to understand the story. But personally, I'm like, well, I, I, it's the idea and the message that is living to me, not this person per se. Yeah. Um, that gets tricky when you're talking about the resurrection. <laughs> Just a maybe, little. We yeah. can maybe run back through that. But for me, the it's the message and the story and the power of the belief and the idea um, that, you know, that's kind of what I told my housemate anyway at the time. <laughs> but yeah. obviously, I, obviously through this and other channels I've been chasing you know knowledge uh for many 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 years and you know questioning all of these things so super interesting um on that vein John um pushing the divinity of Jesus who was he writing to who was he trying to talk to here so they think that he was primarily writing to uh Jewish Christ followers so similar to Matthew but uh, again, emphasizing the fact, you know, not to give up hope uh, in, because God is much greater than we even can possibly understand. We don't necessarily understand what's going on right now at this time. We don't understand why the temple was destroyed. We don't understand why we're under this persecution. But remember that God is so much bigger that God came to earth as God's self. I mean, John 1, 1 is that that image of in the beginning, there was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning, Jesus or God came to earth and was given life. uh, And that was the life of all people. So all of this, you know, very creation based imagery of, you know, the same God who created the entire world, who created us is here in this person of Jesus. And so because of that, if God can do this amazing thing now, then, you know, I, there's no reason that we should doubt necessarily the fact that God can do something great again, and God does still do great things. Um, mm-hmm. So that's his primary focus is this idea of, of, you know, God came to earth as Jesus. Jesus did amazing, wonderful things here on earth. and to believe in Jesus and to be a part of a Christian community really does give life. And, um, and it, we can rely on the promises of, of God through this person of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds very familiar uh, from, Oh, all the times that I've been in, in church, I feel like I hear a lot more John than I've heard of Luke. Yeah. So the, in in our um in our church, which is one of the main mainline traditions, mainline denominations, we go through a three year cycle of the scriptures, and so and and John is kind of scattered through all of them. So you do actually hear John more often than I just one, two, or three. <laughs> yes, you are very smart and very perceptive. Um, yeah. So year A we go through Matthew, year B we go through Mark, and year C we go through Luke, and then John is scattered throughout all three of them. So, Aye. so yes, you are Aha. correct in that. It sounds really familiar. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
that's really cool. Okay, that's a that's a really awesome overview. Where does John leave us at the end? Yep. So uh so John leaves us giving that goes into Acts after the next book is called Well, Acts. the next book is Acts. Yep. Yeah, um okay. but of course that was written by by Luke and by not Luke, John, right. which doesn't help anybody, but who but, put this book together? <laughs> <laughs> yep. But nonsensical bunch of guys all got together and said, eh, let's put this one here. Maybe it was a dartboard. Who knows? Um I know. But so John, uh, John is the one that focuses a lot. This will explain and I'll explain it just a minute focuses a lot and has all the I am sayings in it. So instead of getting the parable of, you know, the kingdom of God is like a pearl, the kingdom of God is like a lamp, you Mm. get, (laughs) I am you get you get all the I am sayings. I am the vine. You are the branches. Uh, I am am the the light of the world. Exactly. Uh, Um, And and an interesting point of fact, there is no um, Last Supper in John. There is foot washing, but no Last Supper in John. Just blowing holes. I know. Blowing holes in my thought process here. Yep, yep, yep. No Last Supper. No Last Supper in John. It's foot washing instead. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, all the stuff we say in communion, that comes primarily out of um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And even if you look at those stories, they're all completely different also. So good times, right? <laughs> Interesting. Well, um, it goes back, it goes back to this whole, this whole idea of why we do this show and anybody who's spiritual, non-religious and thinking that religions have a, you know, Christian religions or one religion has a lock on the truth well you know when you really get into it different stories yep (laughs) things left out things put in different years definitely anyway you asked about where john leaves us and so the reason i brought up the the i am sayings uh is that you know one of the things was was i am the good shepherd that jesus used a lot of of shepherd imagery um and that kind of a thing and so what we end up with uh, in John, uh, by the way, there's also this mysterious character called the beloved disciple um, that shows up in John that nobody knows who this is, but always somehow beats Peter at everything Peter tries to do. So he's like that guy who's just a little bit better than you that wins all the awards <laughs> that, you know, gets the better grade. Oh, it's that guy. The um, beloved, so that's I've never the heard beloved, of this. Disciple. Anyway, the yeah, beloved, it's very wait, it's just, wait, wait. We got to talk about the beloved disciple. Okay, so I've never okay. heard of this. So who is this? Because we, I thought, yeah, Peter always got the last word. No, so there, there's a beloved disciple which uh, people believe is supposed to be is specifically um, left unnamed and unidentified, so that you can see this person as the uh, the disciple whom you want to try to be like. I see. Okay? So, for instance, in the the resurrection story, Mary goes to the tomb and uh, this is Mary Magdalene specifically goes to the tomb and sees that the tomb is empty and she thinks someone has stolen Jesus's body. And so uh, they hear this from her because she she goes back and tells the disciples. And then it's sort of like Peter and the beloved disciple are running and have this race to try and see who's going to get there first and to see what's going on. And of course, the beloved disciple wins. Poor Peter loses in this race. I do remember <laughs> so, that now. Yes. yes. So there's uh-huh. that. Um, and so this beloved disciple pops up all over the place. And so it's sort of, yeah, it's it's kind of comical, actually, yeah. if you look at the relationship between Peter and this beloved disciple. But this very ending story uh, also uh, brings in the beloved disciple. It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, right, with following them. <laughs> And he was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the Lord's Supper. So he got the place of honor, this beloved disciple, and had asked, Lord, who is going to betray you? And then Jesus said to him, it is my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you? Follow me. So the rumor spread uh, in this community that this disciple would never die, right? There's this whole mysterious thing around the beloved disciple. This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and has written them, but we know that his testimony is true. So it's sort of like, this is the person who was 
talking to John about these various things and John wrote them down in his own artistic way, or maybe this beloved disciple was John. There's all kinds of Mm. theories about this, but so it it kind of brings in, uh, you know, at the very end, you know, who, who is it that's telling this story? And yes, this story is a hundred percent true. It sounds very mythical. It sounds um, very mysterious. Uh, there's a lot of things that we don't know, but we know that this is true because this beloved disciple told me, even though nobody mm. knows who this beloved disciple is. And so it's very interesting. for huh. sure. Weird. Yep. 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 So that's where, where does John leave us again? That's Just, it. That, that that's the it. beloved disciple told me all of this. And so it's true. So you so should therefore- believe <laughs> that's where we're left in John. Wow. I know. Interesting. <laughs> He, he I kind of like, like that. I don't know why. Yes. <laughs> like I said, he's the Picasso. He our... kind of adds fun flares to things and makes you think about like it differently. That, I like Mark's ending. I like run away, be afraid. They're burning Christians. And I like, well, it, you know, you got to believe me because, you know, the beloved disciple. <laughs> <laughs> Who is never named in the entire book. Told me right. so. <laughs> right. It reminds me of that. Uh, I don't know. It's some from some fairy tale or something. And I say it to my kids. It's like late one morning in the middle of the night, two dead men get up to fight. I don't know where it's yeah. from, but it has all the oppositions. <laughs> right. Right. Anyway, well, that's super interesting. I would like to um, quickly. Um, I know that we could talk about resurrection, you know, in a, a whole thing. But just quickly, we went over the birth and Christmas and so on. But do they all agree on the passion, you know, uh, do they all agree or write about Jesus's trial and torment? Write, yep. They all write about the trial. They all write about Jesus's death. Of course, they all do it in slightly different ways. John in a very different way. John, John, John. John, John, the I know. Disciple he just was talking to him throws in a wrench into the whole thing. Yep. Uh-huh. But they all, they all have Jesus, um, you know, being crucified on a cross. They all have uh, Jesus taking a drink of some kind before Jesus dies. Um, they all have Jesus saying something at the very end of his life, though, again, they can, can't agree on what it was that Jesus said, <laughs> things like that. But then, you know, this idea of Jesus' death being a very earth shattering moment definitely shows up in all four gospels. Mm. Mm-hmm. In a variety and the- of ways. And the earth shattering moment would be for which people? I think for all people, all the people Mm. that were there. So for instance, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about this centurion, right? Who would not have been Jewish and, uh, and sees all of this happening. And at the very end, all three of them say that this man saw it, believed and said, truly, this man was the God, the son of God. Um, Certainly this man was innocent. Do they all have the, like, wasn't there something, a fabric with this rent and there was like a darkening of the sky? I, there's this. this yeah, no, that, that there's, there is that in there. Um, the, mm-hmm. the big, that was mostly though in, um, in Matthew and Mark. Um, they, they do have it in Luke as well, but it's sort of like a side comment in Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in Matthew and Mark, it was a big deal um, yeah. because in the, the temple, uh, there was this big curtain that separated the everyday nor- uh, people, the the priests that uh, were the everyday priests, and then outside the temple were the laity. And then only one person was chosen every year to be the the high priest sort of person who would go behind the temple and where the the tablets of stone were supposedly kept. Although at that point, we're really not sure if they were still in there or not. And where where the Ark of the Covenant used to be, that would go in and talk to God on behalf of all the people. One person a year was chosen to be that person. Uh, and so they had to be extra, extra holy, extra cleansed. But if you or think extra. about it in that way, all the extras. But but if you think about it in that way, you have where God is in this building and then a, one person and then a curtain and then the uh, religious people and then the um the outer courts where the jews were allowed to be and then one more step further was this place where gentiles were allowed to come and kind of see what was going on <laughs> and so 
see okay. all of these right? ways in which these people are removed from God. Removed and so from God. Is removed yes. from God. And so this idea of the temple being torn in two means, hey, guess what? Everybody has access to God now. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. No, when you were saying that, it was like, how did it become so, you know, are we just doomed to constantly segregate people, you know, segregate people out and we are, any old way, power or any, you know, identifier or what have you. It just feels very, um, uh, that humans just run that way. And which is closer really you, sad and unfortunate. <laughs> the closer you are to power, the more you want to put, put layers between you and everyone else. Yep. Anyway, the, uh, going back to the idea that uh, this was a big event. It was a very large event. Um, and we kind of had started with that, uh, the temple being destroyed and it was a large event. And I think it's interesting because we did bring up 9-11, but also the pandemic. And it feels like uh, we as a as the human race are starting to understand these large events that happen that affect everybody and the fallout from it can be, you know, it really changes the world. It, it, we don't know what's going to happen yet from our more, more recent ones, but the fallout from the crucifixion of Christ or the benefit, you know, we would say it didn't happen the next year or the next year, or the next year, and these Gospels were written 70, 80, 90, 100 years after, and it was really that Christianity was only just starting to get rolling at yeah. that time, right? I just find that very fascinating, that we we really won't know the effects of these large events until post and even with world war ii which affected the entire world at that time i mean think mm -hmm. look at all the stories we're still telling about that time and the effects of you know the world powers and everything that came out of that period of time mm -hmm. i'm still reverberating and yeah. jesus's death is reverberating two thousand plus years later yeah incredible incredible it is really amazing well let's um end there i want to thank everybody for listening if you got this far you know definitely give us a a review or a star on uh itunes or wherever you listen to us appreciate it to get other people to be able to find challenging christianity podcast thank you pastor gina for all your knowledge uh see you next time everybody thanks for listening mm -hmm.